0: I hope you have had a great week. I know that I have. I've been at the National Pastors Conference uh, this week, and it's been extremely encouraging. And today, if you're visiting with us for the first time, my name is Chris, and I'm the Senior Pastor, and I'm so excited that you're with us today. And uh, if you need anything, please let any of our greeters know. They would love to serve you, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Today also, uh, Pastor Isaac is beginning a brand new series called Figuring Out Your Finances. And uh, you know, every single one of us have been affected by the economic collapse of Wall Street. My uh, wife Jennifer and I have lost about 41% of our retirement. I know that many of you have lost your jobs, lost retirement, uh, maybe even lost your home. And in the midst of all of that, we really need to know How can we avoid any more financial collapse in our life? And today, uh, Pastor Isaac will be talking about um, some principles from the Bible on how to avoid your own financial collapse. Now, in two weeks, I'm really excited about our church-wide campaign called Walk Across the Room. We want everyone to participate in it. And uh, if you've not received uh, this book yet, Uh, walk across the room. Uh, We want to encourage you to pick it up today at the walk across the room uh, table after the celebration where you can sign up for the small group that will be participating in that and get all the materials that you need. Now next week I will be teaching on how to avoid the debt trap and if you are currently in debt or you have been in debt in the past I really want to encourage you to be here. Well I think I hear uh, the intercom going uh, off a little bit. That our flight is ready to go, and I think I'll just go up to the ticket counter and uh, say something like this. You think this would work? You drop the bomb on me, baby. You drop the bomb on me. You turn me on.
1: I have a feeling I might be teaching for the next year or so, depending on what happens there. Um, One thing I want to say just before we start that I think is really cool for us um, as a church is that um, we have every single chair that we own put out here this morning. I think that that's something that we need to celebrate. Now this is... Just to let you know how my, my... my, my mind works when I see this. I mean, Easter's like six weeks away, and right now I'm kind of freaking out because I'm like, you know, when Easter comes, there's like 350 people in here, 400, who knows? What are we going to do? So we're going to have to do some creative problem solving um, to to figure that out. But um, I think the thing that's becoming more and more apparent as we grow is that... Um, that some of our strategy is going to have to change, and some of our strategy, um, it's, and it really, it's not really changing. But um, small groups are what drive this community, and um, and like Chris was saying, we're starting a new small group series that's uh, that's talking about walking across the room, and um, just to give you a little bit more insight into that, really, what what it is is that it's exploring your own story of faith with some other people, um, and just being able to uh, understand that a little more. I'd like to read some things. I got some emails this week um, from people that are in small groups, just to let you know what small groups mean for people in our community. If um, if you're in one, you know the impact that it can have um, on your life. And so one person said, I believe our small group is a gathering where I can confide in and get advice from, from friends. It's part of our foundation for faith. Someone else says um, that it's the rainbow after the storm of work. And maybe after after your crazy day, you just need to unload on some people that you feel safe with. Another person said, my small group are the people who are like my family, away from my family. They are there when I, for me when I need help or support, and I'm there for them. And there, I mean, there are all sorts of stories where people I mean, need help with your kids. There's a, one couple this week. The husband had to work in Indy all week, and the wife had to work, and she um, needed people to help pick up her kids from school and just all sorts of things. Well, she turned to our small group, and so um, that's just the way that we meet just the individual needs that we have. Um, so I'd really encourage you to take a look at that table and uh, check out what um, what we have for you there. Okay, now... I'm just going to say it, we're going to talk about money. And we did lock the door so you can't go anywhere, but this isn't meant to freak you out. Now, we don't really talk about money all that much at the jar, but it's not because it's not important. It's very important. The Bible talks about money a lot, in fact, but part of the reason that we don't talk about it all that much here at the jar is because for a lot of us, we're either coming back to church after being young, maybe checking out of church, or we've never gone to church and we just have perceptions that um that the church is about money. And some of those some of those are, are founded. I mean, when I was six years old, my family went to a church and when they would pass the offering, there are times where the offering would go by. They would bring it up to the pastor, he would look in, not enough, send it around again. Let's do it again. In fact, he would sing a song. I called my mom this week, and I was like, what was that song that that pastor sang? Like, I was only six, and then we left that church because we couldn't afford it anymore. But, um, but he would sing this song, and he would say, Keep giving to the Lord, give more than you can afford. You keep giving and you'll find out you can't outgive the Lord. It was just like this overwhelming burden of guilt. I mean, can you imagine if that's what we did every time we take the offering? I mean, I, we wouldn't be having the problem that we're having approaching this Easter. I guarantee that. Um, but the, the foundational thing that I want to say about money, and this is something that I'm starting to believe about money, is that... Um, Sometimes I just wish it just wasn't there. Is there anybody? Like, it's just not important. It's just, like, why do we even need to have that measure anything? I mean, we all have skills. We all have, um, things that we do, and we, and we work. We have time, and so we put our skills to work over a period of time, and someone agrees to pay us for that. Or I agree to pay someone. Like, my brakes are about to fall off my car, so I'm gonna have to, Call somebody this week and say, okay, I'm gonna, I wanna pay you for your time and your energy, and this is how much I think it's worth, and they'll do that. <laughs> Maybe it'll happen the other way. Maybe they'll tell me how much they think it's worth. Um, yeah, see, I'm still young. I'm still learning how this thing works. But, um, but yeah, we, money is simply a measure of time and energy. But the problem, that happens is when we start to think that money is the measure of who we are. That money is what determines our significance. Either we make a lot of it and we think that that makes us important, or we don't make a lot of it and we think that that makes us less than anything else. The good, thing, the good news is that that's just not true. That our our worth does not come from how much money we make. Now, there's, there would be a temptation that I would have, since I have to talk to you about money, um, to kind of say it like I have it all figured out. That is the furthest thing from the truth. I mean, the first time that Chris asked me to fill in for him, he was in the middle of a parenting series. He's like, Isaac, like, fill in. I'm like, what, what am I going to do? <laughs> so this time, he throws me another curveball. He's like, start the, start the money series. And I'm like... I mean, I'm $40,000 in college debt. I mean, I, what, what am I possibly going to say? The good thing is that um, I believe that every day is a new day and that what we start now and what I start today or what I started maybe three months ago when I started really taking this thing seriously, um, that there are principles there um, that I'm learning, that you can learn, and I'm just going to say it. We're learning together, and I'm probably learning um, most of all. I could throw a lot of stats at you this morning, but I'm, I really don't want to do that. And I could tell you that the average household is in credit card debt um, valued at $9,840. I don't just want to throw that statistic to, at you and make you feel guilty. Or I could tell you that the average household receives 5.3 billion offers for new credit cards. Yeah, that's a little exaggerated. Or that the average interest rate for a credit card is 19%. And that freshmen entering college, a quarter of all freshmen have a credit card. And after four years, three quarters of all students have a credit card. 70% of people that live in America with paycheck to paycheck. And that most Americans, and myself included, if I had a $1500 car repair that I needed to do tomorrow, I'd have to pay it with a credit card. And that 64% of all couples argue over money, and that money is the number one cause of divorce. Now the Bible, in the Bible there are over 800 scriptures on the topic of money. In fact, more than Jesus talked about love, more than he talked about heaven, more than he talked about hell, he talked about money. And this, this might seem weird to you because you think, well, Jesus, he's, he's all about love and he's about how to get to heaven and how to not go to hell and all these things. But why? So why did he talk about money so much? Well, as opposed to love, heaven, and hell, and those things are abstract. Money is what we understand. Money is what we know. We take our money and we put it places. I guarantee you that if, if we looked at where we put our money, if you look at if you take anybody in here and you say, "What do you spend your money on?" That tells you what's important to them. For me, it's music. I, you know, I I'll not buy clothes or food if there's a band coming that I really want to see. I'm like, well, that that far outweighs those needs. Now, how many of in here? How many of you in here? By a show of hands. Have faith that God is smarter than you are. Yes. And we're on the right path. This is good, because if 100 more people show up on Easter, it's good for them to know that. Um, Of course, I mean, God created us. He knows about how our brains work, how we think, and he knows how we feel when it comes to money. He knows that money can lead to stress, it can lead to pain, and it can lead to wars. But he also knows that money can lead to hope, to change lives. And so God isn't silent on the topic of money. And a lot of the scriptures that we're going to look at today, if you look through your outline, if you just scan that, you see that there's a lot of scriptures from the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs was written by a man named Solomon. And Solomon was a king. It lived thousands of years ago, but he's considered by historians to be one of the wisest kings that ever lived. In fact, when he was, when he was ruling, other kings would come and they would travel for miles. They would travel thousands of miles just to sit at Solomon's feet, just to hear little words of wisdom that they could bring back to their kingdom to say, here's how I'm going to manage my kingdom. But check this out. We have a book of Proverbs. And this has some of those things that Solomon said to these people. And a lot of it has to do with managing things. Now, what I'd like to tell you about Solomon is that when he was young, when he, when he first became a king, he had a dream. And God came to Solomon in a dream, and he said, he said ask for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And can you imagine if God came to you in a dream and said, ask for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. Just think about what you would ask for. And you might might ask just for a lot of money, I mean, thinking that that would solve all your problems. Or you might ask that you would live a long time. But Solomon was faced with the responsibility of caring for a kingdom. And he knew that no amount of money or no amount of long life would really solve that. So what he asked for was for wisdom. He said, God, give me wisdom. And the way that God responded, God responded, he said, wow, Solomon, you're on to something because you could have asked for wealth. You could have asked for a lot of money. You could have asked for long life. But because you asked for wisdom, that showed that your heart is for the people that are around you. That showed that you want to serve them before you serve yourself. So I'm going to give you those other things. I'm going to bless the fact that, that your attitude toward others is in the right place. And so as we look through these scriptures, that will, that's what we want to look at. We want to look at how can we learn to manage what God's given us so that we can um, receive his blessing on it. Where, what can we learn about where he says we should put our money and put our energy? And so as we, as we get ready to do that, I want to pray one more time. Um, and I just want to pray and ask God for wisdom. Um, for all of us. Let's pray. God, we um, come before you humbled, and um, I come before you feeling inadequate to really uh, really speak on this topic, but um, but God, we just pray that you would give us wisdom, and we open ourselves up to your spirit um, just to guide us in knowing how to spend the money that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to go through these five principles. And we're going to go through them understanding that God gives us everything that we have. I think that that's foundational for us to make any headway in understanding this, that our time doesn't belong to us, the, who, who we are, the skills that we have, God gave those to us. And so any money that we make from that really is God's. And God just entrusts us with a, with a certain amount of money, And then he says, okay, manage it. And if you do well with it, you'll you'll get more. If you're foolish with it, then you'll always be needing more. So let's look at this first principle. The first principle for financial stability is to keep good records. This is the principle of accounting. This first scripture in Proverbs says that riches can disappear fast. So watch your business interests closely. Let's read the second part together. It says, Know the state of your flocks and herds. Know the state of your flocks and herds. Now in this time, the people there, they were mostly shepherds. And so he's saying, you know, know, know where your sheep are. Know how many you have. Because um, they're, they're just going to walk away if, if you're not paying attention to them. So know what you have. Know where your money is going. Be conscious and be aware. And do you ever find yourself saying, I just don't know where my money goes. And people say that money talks. I don't think it talks. I think it sneaks away quietly. It doesn't tell you where it's going. It just up and leaves. The second scripture says, get the facts at any price. You want to you ask yourself, how am I doing financially? This is important to know. And like I said before, I, I'm guilty of this. I've, I've spent most of my life, you know, mom and dad... Took care of me. That's that's hey. I need a CD. Okay, here it is. I don't know how how I got that or everything that went into it, but um, and that's how that's how I got it. Even you know the past few years, just kind of saying, well, I'll just spend money and worry about it later. Um, so to kind of correct this um, over the past few months I uh, I sat down in December and I decided I really, you know, have to have to get a handle on my finances. I have to know what I have. And um and so I got this. This is it's a red binder. Can we all say ooh. Thank you. I'm proud of this. Now I can't take credit for this. This is this is an idea that um, that my my girlfriend Katie had, and one day we were talking about money, and she was like, "Oh, well, I keep track of everything." I was like, "How do you do that? I just have a pile of receipts and then I throw them in the garbage." And she was like, "Well, I, I keep binders." I was like, "Are you serious? Who, who does that? That's, and that's, that's what we call OCD. I mean that's just I mean And in my defense, why should I keep a receipt? And they're overwhelming. I bought milk at Marsh. Look at all the documentation I need to prove that I bought milk at Marsh. I mean, this is ridiculous. And so no no wonder I've gotten overwhelmed. I've been like, well, I just bought milk. Do I ever have to prove this? Is anybody ever going to say, like, I don't don't even think you bought milk last week? And I can be like, well, no, it's right here. I filed it under M. So. (laughs) But then I learned a lesson, um, and it thankfully wasn't my lesson, but um, but Katie's car, she was driving to work, and it died. And she got it towed, and they said that the, the timing chain or s- some other mechanical kind of belt or whatever um, fell off, ruined the engine. So the engine's toast. No more engine. So it's going to cost thousands of dollars to fix. It was under warranty for, for 10 or 12 more days but the warranty was only valid if you could prove that you gave it regular oil changes. (laughs) Now, if that were me, I'd I'd be toast. (laughs) I'd be like, well, I mean, I gave one, you know, 08, 07. I I did them sometime, but, you know, she ran home, pulled out all of her neat little binders, went back to the months, and, you know, that that taught me that keeping good records is important. If you can prove that you did things, it pays off. And so... um, Yeah, this is filed by month, so you know, color-coded. And um, I'm just going to show you a little bit more. It's only January, so you might have to check in with me next January to see how well I keep up with that. But I've been learning that that this is a good way to do it. Another thing that I did, um, and there's a lot of tools out there, but um, there's a tool called Mint.com, and there's various financial things, but... um, I'm just throwing this. This is my personal finances. This is what I spent last last month. Um, a lot of car repairs. But you you can um, just put everything up there and put it on this website, and then it gives you all these graphs, and you can say, whoa, you know, when I first did this, I was like, wow, I found out how much I spent at Starbucks, and was like, okay, I can cut back. I don't need to spend that much money on coffee, or I can um, get my own coffee pot. <laughs> but so. But th- this is a good way to do it. There's another picture um, from this, and again, this is just um, this is just accounting. This is just keeping track of your finances. And so the um, so the first principle again is keep good records. The second principle is to plan your spending. This is the principle of having a budget. Now. Um, the reason why you have to do this is because you can drift. I mean, think about the financial crisis that our country is in. How did we get here? And I feel like sometimes in America we've we've tricked ourselves into thinking that there's an American dream that we're entitled to and that everyone needs to, be, needs to have what their neighbors have and everyone needs to have more than their neighbors have. But when we find out that we buy into that dream, we find out that we actually can't afford it. And borrowing more money than we can hope to pay back is a bad idea if you borrow more money than you can pay back you're gonna you're gonna find yourself in a hole of debt, a hole that's deeper than the potholes that you ran into on your way in to church and is is wheeling getting getting crazy or what? <laughs> can I get an amen? There we go. We don't do that much here, but I knew I could get one there. Jeez, I saw three there's like three people changing tires like. Here. Anyway, stay focused. <laughs> so in Proverbs, um, the Bible says, plan carefully and you will have plenty. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. Financial freedom is not based on how much you earn. It's based on how much you have. If you don't know how to live on less now, do you really think that you're going to know how to manage And live on less than you make when you make more. This is, I mean, this is another lesson. I mean, this is almost embarrassing that I'm sharing all of this stuff with you guys. But um, I needed a car a few years ago. My car died, and um, and I had a friend. He called me. He was like, "Hey, dude, I'm moving to Ireland, so I've got this Pontiac vibe. I'll just sell it to you. Just turn over the payments." My mind automatically said, "Whoa." Such a good deal. He's just going to turn over the payments. I'm not, like, getting a markup on this. This is just, like, this is just the best deal for me that I could ever find on this car. And so I bought it. I got out a loan. Actually, Chris signed, co-signed on that loan. I better make those payments. Um, anyway, so yeah, but I just did that. Now, after after buying the car, after having it for a little while... I sat down and I started calculating how much the loan is going to cost me over the life of the loan, if I make the minimum payments, and I was like, okay, $11,000 for a car, after I make payments, possibly, um, you know, different repairs, if anything goes on, I can end up spending well over $16,000 or $17,000 for this car. I was like, the reality is I can't afford, I can't afford that much of a car. Um, I need to do something different. So then I acted quickly again. I was like, I'm going to buy a cheaper car. So I found a car for like $2,000 out in New Jersey, and I went out and bought it. And I was like, I'll just buy that, and then I'll go sell this one. I still have the vibe. (sighs) And if you want to buy it, please. (laughs) Prove to me that you can afford it first. (laughs) Or if you know... the (laughs) Yeah. But well, we live in a society where we're, where we're taught to do that. We're, we're taught to think, you know, sale means good deal, means you'll never get this deal again. So just go buy it. Don't think about what the impl- implications are. And, I mean, advertising is meant to do this. It's meant to cause you to buy based on feeling and not logic. And, um, you know... After this year, or after I sell the vibe, I really hope that from now on, I'll actually sit down and calculate what something's going to cost me before just going out and making an impulsive decision. <clears throat> let's, let's read this next phrase. If, you, if it makes you feel better, you can read it to me. Okay? We're going to read this out loud together. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Ouch. You know, sometimes you just don't know how brutal the Bible's going to get. This is not a feel-good scripture, but if you spend everything you have, the Bible calls that stupid. And so there's, there's wisdom in planning your spending and having a budget. So the third principle is save for the future. Save for the future. One of the things I love about Proverbs is that sometimes um, Solomon just goes off and um, just picks out the most random things to focus your attention on, but just draws great wisdom out of it. The Scripture says, "Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer." What's he saying there? He's just saying, you know, if if you look at the ants, well, they're and they're smarter than I am, <laughs> basically. They're they're thinking ahead. They're saying, hey, everything's good now, but I don't have to spend everything now, because a winter is coming, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold some back. I'm not, I'm not gonna consume everything that I have. Now sometimes you have a question of how much should I save? There's a principle that, that I'm gonna talk about now, and you can get a lot more information on it if you decide to attend the Freedom for Financial Living course. Um, but it's the principle of 10-10-80. And the first, the first 10 stands for something that we're going to get later, but the, the second 10 stands for saving. You save 10% of everything that you get. Everything that comes in, put 10% in the bank. Proverbs says this, Many, Money that comes easily disappears quickly, but money that is gathered little by little will grow. Money that disappears quickly, or money... Check my notes. Okay, look at this verse. First, money that comes easily disappears quickly. The Bible basically is saying don't get involved in quick rich scheme. Get quick rich schemes. Many times in Proverbs it tells us not to do this, not to just jump on something that promises income right away, but to think and to have it built into who you are that everything that comes in you put a little bit away. Don't spend it all at once. Because if you do that, it's just, If you don't do that, it's just a sure sign for disaster that when some emergency comes up, you're not going to have the money to deal with it. And so you need regular, consistent savings. You need to set goals. You need to have some spending goals, some saving goals, and some giving goals. And so, I mean, we really have to think about this because in the day that we live in, you know we're we're in a recession and that's no secret anymore and so we we have to be thinking about not only like what are we going to do to get out of it but what are we going to do once we're out of it to make sure that it doesn't happen again that it doesn't affect us um as much as much as it did possibly this time be careful of easy money put in hard work and set some savings goals the fourth principle is Return a portion to God. And this is the principle that we find in, in Scripture, and it's called a tithe. That's what, um, when we do our little spiel about the Connect card, um, and then we do the offering, we say this is for those people who are part of our community who are learning to give. You know, the, the tithe is really um, a concept that means when you belong to a community, when you belong to a A community of faith that you're willing to invest in that community because of what they're doing. I'm absolutely convinced of this that the reason why we have churches like the jar is not for the church's sake. It has to be for the sake of our community, for the sake of those living around us, and for the sake of those living within the community. That um, in a real way, if if the jar just all of a sudden wasn't here tomorrow it like that should be noticed because, and the reason why is because because we we do good we do good things we we take money in and we do wise things with it to impact um to impact our society and i can't tell you how proud i am of you guys every time we do a bag hunger once a month um we're we're donating tons of food to the salvation army I mean, we we ask we give multiple opportunities for you guys to give, and we always meet our goals. We we always say, you know what? There's this this thing going on. There was a fire here. There's this happened. This is what we need, and you guys respond. I think that's something that that we can celebrate. Um, but what is a tithe? A tithe traditionally is 10% of of someone's income. So if you make $10, one dollar goes to God. And like I said before, with the 10-10-80 plan, with that you make $10, $1 goes to God, $1 goes in savings, and you live off of the other $8. But what, what is the real principle behind a tithe? Like I said before, where someone puts their money often is where you can see what they make important to them. In fact, it's really a statement of faith when you put your your faith in God and when you're willing to trust Him with your finances, when you're willing to put Him first in your budget, you're saying that you trust Him. You're trusting Him with your past. It's a statement of gratitude. It's saying, whenever I tithe, you're saying, God, I realize all of this came from you. And if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have any money anyway. I wouldn't have my life, I wouldn't have my intelligence, and I wouldn't have my health to work. So, in gratitude, realizing that it all really comes from you in the first place, I'm going to give you 10%. I'm not an ungrateful person. I'm grateful for what you've done in my life, so here it is. I can say I'm grateful. I can just say that I'm grateful, but if I put my money where my mouth is, um, then that's me really saying that I trust that everything that God's given me is His in the first place. It's also a statement of faith in the present. It's a statement of priority. It says, God, I want you to be number one in my life. So right off the tip, right off the first part of all my money, you'll get, you'll get the first part. It's a statement of priority. I could say that God's number one, but if I'm not tithing, he's not really number one. What I do with my money and what I do with my time really shows what's important to me. It's also a statement of faith in God for the future. It says, you're basically saying, God, you've made all these promises, and this is one of them, that you'll take care of me if I put you first in my money. So I'm going to tithe. Even though I don't have it, even though I'm still going to give you the first 10%, and you live in a statement of faith, and you believe that he'll take care of your future. Now believe me, I know... I know that this is hard. And we're, we're, we're talking about the number 10. But I, I want to let you know it's, there's, there's nothing in the Bible that says that it's a sin to not give 10 or it's a sin if you give less or whatever. This, this is simply purposing within yourself to say, how much am I going to give? If it's 5%, it's 5%. If it's 2%, it's 2%. If it's 1%, give 1%. But start making God a part of of your money. Start making him a part saying, whatever comes in, I'm going to give some back to God. In 1 Corinthians, the Bible says, on every Lord's day, you should put aside something from what you have earned during the week and use it for this offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you earn. So again, that's saying, take into account what you've made and then purpose within yourself and that's between you and God. There's no one that's going to keep, keep tabs on that, um, you know, God's not going to love you more or less, depending on, on what you give. But again, as a statement of priority, I find that the more that I invest in the things that God says is important, the more that I see the return is so much more beneficial than anything I could imagine. I mean, if I, I mean I'll just say, if I didn't think it was important, I've invested a lot of time and energy into, into this place and i mean there's it, i'm filled with like an incredible amount of of gratitude and blessing just saying wow god keeps blessing us because we keep putting his purposes first in what we're doing in proverbs it says honor the lord by giving him the first part of all your income and he will fill your barns to overflow and again this applies in all areas, whatever you want God to bless, if you put him first, if you put him at the center, he'll bless it. If you want to be blessed in your family, you'll put God at the center of your family. If you want him to bless you in your career, you'll put God at the center of your career or in your relationships. If you want God to bless your schedule, you'll put him first in your time. You'll, you'll take time to think about what he would want you to do um, with your time for that day. And there are a lot of promises in the Bible that say that when you put God first, he'll provide. And I've seen this over and over, not just with some of the people here, but, um, but just not only providing financially, but just providing peace, providing security, providing just a sense that, that God is ultimately in control and I can trust him. So those, those are four principles that we have. The fifth principle I think this one is, is important because, I mean, everything that I've talked about, maybe, maybe you're feeling like completely overwhelmed, stressed, like, and like I did three months ago <laughs> before I started um, my little red binder thing. Um, and you're just saying, you know, this is a big task. It is a big task. But it's important to enjoy what you have. God didn't give us everything that we have. He didn't give us money so that we can stress out about it even though that's our temptation, even though that's automatically what we want to do with it, is just thinking about how much more we need or how we, we can't pay this bill or pay that. Um, <clears throat> In Ecclesiastes, it says, it is better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. And if, that's, if that's not said directly to, to an American... I mean, I don't know what else is. Or people that, as soon as we get something, we're told that we need the next best thing. They're always coming out with a, with a new version of the thing that you just got. As soon as you got it, it's, it's obsolete. I mean, as soon as you drive a new car off the lot, it's appreciated by, um, by a large percentage, where if you tried to sell it back two seconds, you would lose thousands of dollars. In Isaiah, it says, Why spend money on what does not satisfy. Think about where you spend your money. Think about, think about where you spend your time. Think about what things that you invest in that really provide the most fulfillment. And again, we're talking about money, but also think outside of the box. Think about when you, when you invest your time in your family, when you invest your time in the people that are important, what does, that, what does that do for you? I want to close with a passage um, that I came across this week. Someone pointed out to me. Um, I think that this, this is the heart of everything, everything that, that we're talking about. It says, Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in Him. Make it as clear as you can to all that you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them to see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up at any minute. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness and everything come together for good. Will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry. This idea of displacement—I I had a good picture of it this week because I actually did the dishes, and so the—but um, my sink was full, full of water, full, full to the top, and I had this big pan. And when I when I took this pan. I put it in the water. And I pressed it down. There wasn't enough room for the water. The water had to go somewhere, so it started you know, overflowing. But the the point of the illustration is when you put God at the center, He's like that pan. If your if your life is filled with worry, if you feel like you're up to the brim in in stress about money, if you feel like you're up, you know you've had it up to here, and putting Christ at the center will displace that. I love how that's worded. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Can you guys stand? We're going to close with a song that says enough. God, we, um, we just come to you and we just uh, pray that you would help, help us to see that you're more than enough. That, um, that no matter how inadequate we feel about uh, managing our time, or our resources, that we can start today. In making you important and putting you at the center, and that you promise to displace all of our worries and fears. So God, we just give this to you in your name. Amen.
2: All of you is more.
1: go knowing that you're always loved in this place. You're dismissed.